you're listening to the True Life Church podcast. To learn more about True Life Church, including our service times in Melbourne, Florida, join us online at truelifemelbourne.com or find us on Facebook. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. Uh, We are in a series, this is week two now, of our series in the book of Nehemiah. All right, And just as a quick recap of where we've been coming out of the Return to Me series we were in for the first few months of this year, which really focused on repentance, and, and we gathered in a circle. Hopefully that's not too lost on us, but for almost two months or more, we, we gathered in, in a circle and we really simplified things. And hopefully, if you got anything out of that, that one thing is we need to be a repentant people. All right? We are imperfect. We have failed, and we can't just go through life assuming everything's okay. We have to approach the throne of God. We have to ask for forgiveness, receive grace. We have to be a forgiving and a forgiven people, and repentance is at the key, it's at the heart of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And hopefully that's the, one of the first things that you ever did, when you think about it, if you had a, what we call a come-to-Jesus moment or the moment where you accepted Christ as Savior, hopefully that moment for you went something like this. Lord, I am a sinner. Like, I have messed up. I have tried to do life on my own terms, and I have royally messed it up. And I, I need a Savior. I need to be saved. And it's starting out in that place of repentance daily, again and again and again is the Christian walk that we're talking about. So we spent two months in repentance, and, and we gradually uh, moved into, through the book of Ezra from Second Chronicles, and then finally finished in the book of Nehemiah, uh, chapter 1, and we've now moved into that into its own series. But Nehemiah is broken up into three sections, all right? And we've covered section 1, which is chapter 1, and also all of our Return to Me series, which is repentance. We've got to begin with repentance. So this is building off of that series. And I love it because it's not forced, it's literally chronological, uh, not only in, in, in history, um, but also in, in, our, in our Bible, just book after book after book. And Ezra and Nehemiah used to be one book, and uh, then they split it into two, it's Ezra and Nehemiah, but it used to be all just one, and you just read it um, back to back. So step one is repentance, and we can't skip step one, right? We have to be a repentant people. We have to continue to be a repentant people. And step two is where we're at and finding ourselves now through the first six or seven chapters of this book of Nehemiah and for the first parts of this series. It's reconstruction. Okay, so we've been repentant. Now what? Well, now it's time to build or rebuild. And this is a challenge not only for us as a church, but hopefully you individually. I want you thinking about how can you be building something right now? What are you building right now? Because as we discussed last week, you're either tearing up or you're, you're building up or you're tearing down. And the more we analyze our actions and our words, they really fall into those two categories. I mean, they really do. We're either encouraging and edifying someone or we're discouraging and criticizing someone. Even the way that you can approach um, simple conversations with your spouse can, can change your day. 
and can change theirs for sure. So instead of, hey, honey, um, get the, we need to make a trip to the grocery store. It seems like a very easy conversation. And I need you to get, uh, we, need, we need milk and we need eggs and butter. And so you can approach that in an edifying, building up way. Honey, I love you so much. Would you mind going to the store for me? And we need eggs, and we need milk, and, and we need butter. And I don't really care about the butter, so get the butter that, that, that you like. Get that Kerrygold stuff. I mean, really, get the good, get the good Irish butter. You know, and that's the really good stuff. And so maybe, maybe that's what you need. I just want to encourage you on that. Com- compared to, hey, you forgot to go to the store. All right? I, you need to go to the store and get eggs and milk and butter. And don't forget the butter like you did last time. Now, which one of those is more encouraging? The first one, right? It's a, it's a no-brainer. Now, both of them are asking to do the exact same thing. But the way we can even approach simple conversations in our house, within our families, can, can build up or can tear down. And we need to be a people who build, right? As Christ calls us to build, we should be, we should be builders. We're going to talk about that in, in a little bit. So we're in step two. We, we talked about repentance and then reconstruction, and then later we're going to end up at restoration. Really important for us as a church. Last week, we talked about a couple important points. Firstly, that you are sent. You are sent. And we, we pulled that out of the, the book of Nehemiah there, the first part of, of chapter 2, specifically verses 4 and 5, if you want to go back and read it. But Nehemiah he knew what God had called him to do. His heart had broken it for it. He spent chapter 1 in a repentant place, a very passionate prayer, um, uh, where he's just humbled before God for the place where he'd never even been before, the place of his ancestors. And his heart was broken for this place that should have been holy, that should have been uh, made whole and was broken and shattered and spread apart. He's like, we've got to do something about that. So again, he went to the king, and the king let him go with an envoy and, and papers, a little passport, letting him go through all these little um, different lands and tribes, giving him safe passage because Artaxerxes was like ruler of all, right? And there were subgroups and governors that kind of reported to him that were often at war with each other, like little siblings fighting. And basically, this would give him passage through all those different lands. So he's, he comes to uh, Jerusalem here. God has provided a, a safe place for him. And he was sent. He knew what God had told him to do. And he was sent from where he was, which is in the palace of the king, to Judea, Jerusalem specifically, which was like a, a broken down watering hole in northwest Arizona. Like, it's just, there's nothing there. And like, why would you move there? I feel God called me there. But there's, man, it's just like random trailer parks and just, you know, and the, and the gas is like $18 a gallon. And, and there's, you know, the water isn't clean and it has to be shipped in from Las Vegas. So it's even dirtier. Like, I don't know. Um, it's just weird place. And so he's like, I feel God called me sent there, but there's nothing going on there. I know, but, but God has called me there. But that place is in ruin. But God has called me there. So he knew he was sent. And you and I, 
have been sent. Not necessarily to build a wall, but to build people. To build up our families. To build up for the kingdom of God. So you are sent, and then also, you were meant to build. We're meant to build something. We're meant to be living on this earth for more than ourselves. So we have to build for more. Well, what, what more is that? Well, we're going to find that in Matthew chapter 28. And as you turn there, this passage is often referred to as the Great Commission. Because this is Jesus saying to the disciples and then through Scripture to us these next words. But I want to I pause here really quickly on this word commission. Because we, we, we breeze through it and we, we bypass it and we don't sit on it long enough to understand that this is co-mission. You're on a mission. Co-mission. But with someone else, well, who's the someone else? We're going to find that out in a little bit. And Jesus came and he said to them, again to the disciples, verse 18, Matthew chapter 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So here we go. Go, therefore, there's the sending. Go, therefore, and, have, go, therefore, and make disciples. Build. Build people. Make disciples of, of all nations. How do we do that? Well, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are on a commission with each other and with Christ. Ever think about that? Like we're, not, we're not abandoned here to do what Jesus would want us to do in his absence. No, we are placed here to do what he's called us to do in his presence. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is a guide. Jesus, our advocate, God the Father. I mean, we, we've got all the tools in our toolbox we need. So if we're going to build people, then how do we people? How do, how do we build people? Well, go into all the nations. Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. Go, make, baptize, teach. Say that with me. Go, make, baptize, teach. It's not complicated, right? But oh boy, do we make it so Paul hints at this later in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll begin in verse 5 because people and the church are comparing, well, who baptized who baptized who? who whose baptism is more valid? And I saw, I, I guess there was a Catholic priest in the news a couple weeks ago, I don't know if you all saw that, who apparently didn't say one word right, and now the, the church, not our church, obviously, but the church has invalidated Thousands of baptisms that he did because he left out a word. So he's had to apologize for that and now go back and attempt to rebaptize 
all of those people, thousands of people, because of a word he left out. I'm dead serious. Yes, you can look it up. It is, it is, it is sad and hilarious simultaneously. Like it just makes no sense because our, our faith is built on more than leaving out just one of those little words, right? And so we've got so caught up, some people, in the, in the pragmatic approach. And so here's kind of what's going on here. Well, you know, whose baptism counts? Who's more official? Who's Paul? Who is a, this other guy, Apollos? All right? And so Paul says, well, what then is Apollos, this other dude? What is Bill or Jamie or Sandy or Jill? Who is that? What is Paul? And he's writing this. Who am I? Well, we are both servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. And I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Here we go in verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers, co-laborers, co-mission people. We're God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master, builder, I laid a foundation. Have you ever seen any houses being built? And if you lived in Florida for eight minutes, you've seen 12. <laughs> like a master builder, I laid the foundation. Foundation comes first, and someone else is then building upon it. So let each one take, how, take care how he builds upon it. Because we're meant to be builders. So we should take care, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones and wood, hay, I guess it's a building choice, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will, will test what sort of work each one has done. And the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. And we are building up the temple today, right? Yes? No? Maybe? Okay. All right. Just making sure. I feel alone sometimes. We, we're, building, we're building up the temple, right? Right. Thank you, Shannon. We're meant to build. Well, how do we do that again? Go make disciples, baptize, teach. And so we have to ask ourselves this question, and they're going to be hard. Who's not here today because you haven't asked him? Who in your family doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior because you haven't been bold enough to bring it up over Thanksgiving dinner because it'd be awkward? Who hasn't been baptized because you haven't said, hey, have you been baptized? Well, no, I haven't. Good, let's baptize you. Who is not being taught? Because we think, well, that's someone else's job. 
and it's not. And this is one of the passages in Scripture that, that so many churches have distorted over time because, because mainline denominations, especially our own technically Baptist, though we don't look at it that way, think that that's the pastor's job. And we, we've talked about that a lot here, so I'm not going to beat a dead horse at True Life Church. But whose job is it to go? It's everyone's. Whose job is it to make disciples? Everyone's. Whose job is it to, to baptize others? Everyone's. Whose job is it to teach? At some level, everyone's. Not at this level. You've got to be willing for that. And that's a whole different passage, and we can, you can read about that. We're working our way through First and Second Timothy on Sunday nights. You can be with us tonight as one of our former elders. Uh, Ryan Oberly brings us the message from Second Timothy. So we've been working our way through that. But yeah, you can te- please teach your families about Jesus, right? Please teach your friends about Jesus, right? Go, make, baptize, teach. And sometimes we get that in the wrong order. We want to teach before baptize. That's not what we're called to do. We are co-laborers with Christ. We are a co-mission. We share the same goal, or we should. So who's not here today? We're at another church in Sheboygan. Is that in Idaho or Wisconsin? I don't know. Anyone? Iowa? I don't know. Someplace Michigan? Okay, so who's, who's, who's not at a church in Michigan because you didn't say, hey, sister-in-law living in Michigan, are you plugged into a body of Christ? You don't have to be here, here. But encourage someone to be somewhere there. I feel like Dr. Seuss. <laughs> We're co-laborers with Christ. So I just want to ask you a personal challenge. Because I'm right there with you. I'm doing it. I did this last week. Invite someone to church. Hopefully this church... Hopefully you like this church enough to say, hey, come be with my faith family. Not like, they're the awkward ones. <laughs> Go to that church at First Baptist Melbourne. They're great. And Scott Wilson's a great guy. Hopefully you like us enough to invite other people to be with us. Who are you going to invite? Who are you going to bring? Who are you going to be sent to? Who are you going to baptize? Who are you discipling? Who are you teaching? We're co-laborers with Christ. And we are meant to build. Building this church. Building up each other. I'm going to begin uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. Picking up where we left off last week. Into verse 9. So Nehemiah has come to the city of Jerusalem. And he says, When I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat, and this is going to be an important name for us in this book, we're going to hear it another time in this chapter. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare 
with the people of Israel. They were upset that someone else wanted to build back Jerusalem. To upgrade it. To fix it. To repair it. They liked it better broken. Why? Because that, mean, that meant that their cities prospered. It meant that they were the strongest city or group in the land. But oh, here come these people about 43,000 strong, coming out of captivity, being released from what was Babylon, Assyria, and the kingdom of Artaxerxes over there in Persia. They've been released now 70 years after Jerusalem has been destroyed, and they are coming back to probably grass growing up in between the bricks and walls absolutely falling down and missing in some places. Other places burned up by fire and all scorched and black. Sounds like a fun place to be. So I, Nehemiah, verse 11, went to Jerusalem and was there for three days. And then I arose in the night, the middle of the night. I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. So up until this point, he knows what he's supposed to do. He just hadn't shared it with anybody else yet couple reasons for this. Number one, he knows what's coming, the mocking and the ridicule and, and the enemy wanting to break that down. Number two, probably because it wasn't the right time yet. <coughs> you ever had like a Christmas present waiting for someone and like you ordered it in September? Now it's not Christmas yet, but you're just like, <laughs> I've got a great present lined up for you. You don't tell them about it now. Right? This would be silly. You wait. Because <laughs> it's not the right time yet. <coughs> it wasn't the right time. So he, he goes out. <coughs> Excuse me. You got something to drink. <coughs> out of my national championship cup. <coughs> Tastes better out of this. Better than last year, at least. <coughs> So he gets up in the middle of the night, and he gets on his horsey. There's no animal with me but the one on which I rode. And I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. That's a fun place to be, the poop, the poop gate. I'll give you one hint about what went in and out that gate. And I expected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. And then I went to the fountain gate in the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. It was that broken down. Couldn't even get through on his horse. Then I went up in the night by the valley, and I inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. Now, why is that detail in us? Why is that even in here? Basically, if you look at the, the map of ancient Jerusalem at that time, he basically went out of the city north, and he's giving all the landmarks as he worked his way south, all the way around the city, and then came back. It's kind of cool, because some of these places you can still visit today. Like you, you can go there, and there it is. And you can see still to this day sections of wall that Nehemiah and his people built. Like it's there. Like this isn't made up. It's not fairy tale. It's there. Kind of cool. So he comes back and he returns to the gate, and the, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. 
And I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Look at this place. It's a hot mess. No walls. Where there are walls, there are broken. And, and maybe where there's a little bit left, it's been burned by fire. No gates. We can't stop anybody from, from coming in and, and coming out. And well, why, why was this a problem? Because Jerusalem at this point wasn't a city. All right? Which means that people and, and wild animals even, boars were a big issue, bears and lions still roamed this area. All right? Animals could come in there and, and, and take stuff. It was not a safe place. So Jerusalem is not a city at this point. And you know what that means? No city equals no temple. So while Ezra, the priest, is working on simultaneously building up the people of God and getting the, the Levites and the priests back in order, Nehemiah is setting his sights to the more practical approach of, hey, this is what God's called us to do. Ezra, I'll let you worry about the spiritual. I'm going to be about the practical. And we're going to work in tandem to build this place up. So he's looking at all these walls broken down. We need a safe place for our people to live. Jerusalem needs to be a city again. So the people of God can live in this city again. And we can have the temple of the Lord again. All of it was broken. All of it was empty. And some of the stragglers who had lived in the area had probably moved in and set up camp. And we read about some of that in Ezra and people, and we're not done with that actually even today, had moved in and, and were intermarrying with different people groups and worshiping other gods. And it was time to, to clean this all out, to put up walls and say, from at least this point out is the world, and from this point in is the holy city. And you and I need, in this day and age, some walls. Walls can be a healthy thing, right? They are keeping the roof up over us right now. That's a benefit, right? Roof is not coming down and... 22 tons of concrete is not crushing us. Hooray, walls. Walls are good, right? Now, like it, love it, hate it, that's not the point. But walls at our border keep Americans in, right? And people who aren't supposed to be in, therefore, out. That's a healthy thing. Another boundary. Boundaries in your relationships can be a healthy thing. Like, we are not taking the kids to our in-laws five days a week. That is, that is not healthy, right? For them or us, set a boundary. One day, one day a week, we're going to get the family together. That's healthy. So that they don't feel just used as babysitters. And we don't just dump our kids off for babysitting. We, we are parents. Boundaries in your conversations are healthy. Say, hey, our conversations, we can argue here. But we will not cross this line. And when that line is broken, man, does it take some work to repair. Because if you're a husband like I was, and you bring up that divorce word in an argument, you are toast. Been there, done that. Anybody else? Like, maybe don't, don't, maybe don't raise your hands. I don't know. But, like, yeah, yeah. And to be honest, you probably haven't been married long enough, hard enough, if that word hadn't probably come up. 
and you've, and you've chosen to not take it because that's not the covenant that you made with each other and before God. So, no, we committed to it. But I'm resolved to really not like you right now. <laughs> and that's a wall that should not be crossed, and that wall needed a lot of rebuilding. Time and effort. Apologies, repentance, flowers. I don't really like flowers. You're going to get them anyway, sweetie. Because I don't know what else to do. It's like a normal thing. Here's more roses, more tulips. This is years ago. But I mean, we, we, it's, it's tough, right? But a wall is a healthy thing. We should not cross that line because it keeps the healthy things in and the unhealthy things out. Your body itself is a wall. I was having a conversation with Landon this past week. And the fact that blood stays inside his body by itself is just amazing to him. You know, because there's this thing called skin. It's like, why doesn't it come out of your Why doesn't blood just come out of your skin? Well, be, well, because, you know, you have to be, the wall has to be open. You have to be cut. And then the, the insides come out. That's not good. No, no, it's not. Let's keep blood inside the body. That's a good Good idea, son. Your body in and of itself is a wall. It's meant to keep healthy things in, right? And unhealthy things out. That's why you have an immune system. And we're living in a day and age that wants to tear down all walls. Everything is permissible. Everything is okay. Everything should be allowed. Because just love is love and people can do whatever they want. And what that means is no walls. And the wild animals come in at will. You need to have walls. A movie came out. I have not seen it yet, but I've read enough reviews to know that I will not be watching it with my kids called Turning Red. Disney Pixar. And it's freely available on Disney+. Plus. And so we're going to put a parental control now because Landon has figured out how to work the remote on the Disney Plus. And I don't want him just thinking, oh, that's another cute kids movie. And then letting Hollywood teach my four-year-old about menstrual cycles and other pervasive things. We're going to be the teachers of that. Walls are a healthy thing. You got to have them. Keep the good things in bad things out. So Nehemiah is looking at the city of Jerusalem. There's a lot of bad things in. You got to build a wall so you can have the good things in and the bad things out. You see the trouble we're in, verse 17. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned, no walls, bad things in. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. It's a motivational paragraph there. I mean, that, two sentences from Nehemiah, they were, they were pumped. Let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. Here he is again, but when Sanballat... The Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, What 
what is this thing you're doing? What are you, what are you doing trying to rebuild the walls? Jerusalem looks better destroyed. Are you rebelling against the king? Nehemiah was like, nah, documents. Papers. That's one of the reasons Nehemiah was a smart man, had permission. Because these other men that are being referenced here are like governors. They still all report to and live under the authority of Artaxerxes. Now they knew that they couldn't lay, lay a hand on Nehemiah because that would be very bad. He was the, I mean, this is cupbearer of the king, high-status guy. But they were going to do everything in their power to try to tear down what he was building. What's this thing you're doing? You're rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. Notice he didn't say, I've got this. Notice he didn't say, no, 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 we're gonna, we are going to build a wall and you are out. He said, no, the God of heaven, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Well, okay. A couple of things we're going to pull out of this passage today. <coughs> Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem. He sits there for three days. What's, what's the first major thing that Nehemiah does in the city of Jerusalem? Got on his horsey, and, and, and he rode around the city, right? He inspects it. Ooh, yes it is. You see, what's inspected can be improved. What is inspected can be improved. And, and, and you and I are called to, A, inspect our life, and then, B, also let God inspect our life. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm glad you didn't ask. In Psalm 139, I'm going to read just two verses from it. All of 139 is fantastic. A Psalm of David, but in the last two verses, you may have heard this before in a Hobby Lobby. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God. Inspect me. And you and I have to have a realistic inspection time of ourselves. Because we like to think of ourselves, and the Word tells us too, more highly than we ought, right? I'm not that bad. I might not be great, but I'm better than someone else. I'm better at this skill than I think I am. I'm better at this instrument than, than I really am. I think I'm better, right? Until you have someone else listen. You're like, they're going to be honest with you. You're like, eh, not that good, right? I'm, good, I'm great at painting. I'm a great painter. And then and you're like, are you imitating Picasso? No, I was going for realism. <laughs> It didn't work out. Maybe, maybe not such a good artist. Maybe, you're, you're, maybe you, you think you're better at your job than you really are. But I know this. You probably think you're a better Christian than you are. And there's, there's no escaping that one for any of us. 
we like to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. So we have to be real. We have to let God inspect our hearts. We have to really inspect our lives. We have to allow others within this body of Christ to, in a building up way, do the same. We have to be willing to call other people out on it. Say, hey, I love you in Christ. But that Facebook post, what's with the cuss word? I really love you in Christ, but I heard you talking to your spouse. And it was just, is everything okay? Because tone, not good. I love you in Christ, but... And we have to be willing and able to be a confessing community like that. Because we don't get better if things stay the same, correct? It's possible. We, we don't grow if things stay the same. We don't build if things stay the way they are. So things cannot, therefore, stay the way they are, Correct? Why? Because we're, we're called to go. Make disciples and baptize and teach. Things have to change. And when we are inspecting ourselves as maybe, just maybe, we are not the solution, but we are the thing that needs to change. God's going to shake up your life. In a good way. We like to assume other people are the problem, right? In this, we cannot. Are we in the word enough? Are we praying enough? Are we leading our families well? Are we teaching our children well? Are we kind? Are we loving? Are the fruits of the Spirit found within us and overflowing out of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control are those byproducts of our life with Christ. Or is something missing? What's inspected can be improved. And arguably, though I didn't put it in the screen up here, what's inspected probably should be improved, right? Right? Once we've taken a hard, good look at it, we can ask ourselves, can this thing be better? And then, and then let's try to make it better. Another thing we're going to pull out of chapter 2 is just like Nehemiah gave that little two-sentence motivational speech and then the, the people rallied behind him, it is time for us to rise and build as a church, as a people. Like, there, there may no, be no tomorrow, but for today, for you and me and True Life Church, it is time for us to rise and build. That means being an active part of not only this body of Christ, but being out there for Christ. Being an ambassador for Christ, as Paul calls it. We're called to be out there. To be ministering to people who need it. To be praying for other people. To be lifting others up. To be building up in love. 
leading and teaching. And it is time for us to rise and build. And we've kind of taken it on the chin in the last year and a half to two years as a church. Pre-pandemic, we were pushing 140. We're having that lovely old, do we go to two services conversation. We never got there, right? It was starting. We definitely do not need two services now, right? I'm just put that out there, right? It's been a major time of pruning for not just this church, but the church. The newest Barna research and studies are, are saying that 50% attendance pre-pandemic compared to where we are now for all churches nationwide. The average in America is 50 to 55% of in-person attendance compared to what they were in February of 2020. Now think about that for a second. So I do know this, that whoever is here, you especially on time change day, whomever is here, like, we're here, (laughs) right? Because the the riffraff is gone. The people who wanted comfortability are gone. And the people who weren't really even Christians are gone. So we know who our church is, right? Hallelujah for that. Okay, so we've been... Repentant, we've been torn down. Well, now it's time to rise up and build. We're not wallowing any self-pity. No, God is keeping the doors open here because of his provision and your generosity. We're doing okay. We're paying our bills because of what you give. That's fantastic, right? Yes, that's absolutely amazing. And I'm thankful for it. Giving is only one part of the equation. We're talking about what happens in your life and how you lead and who you lead and who you build. And now is the time to rise and build. Do you know that there are no miracles recorded in the book of Nehemiah? There are in many other books. But as this book finishes as the last historical book in time, in chronology, Nehemiah is the last book of the history. Now, Esther technically comes after that in our book. But it happened between chapters 6 and 7 of Ezra before. All right? And then you finally wrap up and you have this guy named Malachi. Malachi was also a contemporary, living at the same time as Nehemiah. Now is the time to rise and build. There's no miracles recorded in Nehemiah. What it shows is that people who practically trust God can still do his work. Can still build the kingdom. No miracles. No giant, you know, wall coming down from the sky and plopping itself on the corner. No blind being healed. No lame being able to be walked. No one coming back from death to life. No weird sign in the clouds or where the sun stopped still for a day like in Joshua. Nope, just people coming together to do God's work. And I love that part of this book. Because it just shows what, what people can do when they come together for God's kingdom. This wall was built in 52 days. They probably couldn't even do that today. 
too many engineers would want to muck it up and level it out. Now, is what you and I building going to last that long? I don't know. But if you build nothing, you know the answer. There will be nothing. Here then comes in this guy named Sanballat. We talked about him already. We're going to talk about him a little bit again. Enter the adversary, Sanballat. Sanballat is a Samaritan. Now, why all the angst with the Samaritans? We read the Bible, New Testament, Old Testament. What's with the Samaritans? Well, because 70 years before this, and I'll put the passage up here that we may not read it in 2 Kings chapter 7, when the, the, so the Israelites, uh, the people of God, were divided into two groups. The time we read about this. The, you have the kingdom of Israel, which is 10 tribes, and the northern kingdom. And then you, in the south, where Jerusalem is, you have the two tribes of Benjamin and Judah and Judea, all right? So you have the kingdom of Judah, kingdom of Israel. And, and all these little groups in the Babylon people and the Nebuchadnezzar and all that had come and they raided the whole land and the kingdom of Israel, the northern 10 tribes, the northern nation had already fallen. And then they come for the people of Judah and Jerusalem, all right? Fast forward 70 years, Nehemiah comes back. And during this time gap, what they did to break people apart is they would repopulate areas with different people groups. So they removed much of the people of Israel, and Judah, and then they put in their place transplants, Ammonites, Moabites, and Samaritans, people who had been driven out of the promised land were then put back in. And of this group, the Samaritans, they had their own gods. And so when they intermingled with the remnant and with the people who had then come back from Babylon, guess what they did? We're going to worship your gods and our gods. It's all okay. We'll have a temple for them and a temple for you. And priests for them and priests for you. And sacrifices for them and sacrifices for you. And we'll all just worship all the gods. Now, if you don't know much about the Bible, you've probably heard of this thing called the Ten Commandments, of which number one is, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Number one, no other gods. And so when these people, these Israelite remnant left there in the northern kingdom, began to intermingle, intermarry, and intersperse their worship with other gods, the people who then came back into Jerusalem were very displeased commandment number one broken you've intermingled and intermarried with all these other people and again you can read about it in this passage up behind me if you want some homework and they worship all just all gods and you just we're your gods okay and your gods okay we're all just worship all the gods so when these people come back from captivity who had been pure in their worship of only god and people like daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing up for the one true God. When these people and the descendants of these people come back, they're like, uh-uh-uh. Because my grandfather stood up in front of a golden idol and said no. And was tossed into a fire and came out alive. 
and my great 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 uncle twice removed on my mother's side he interpreted dreams saw a handwriting come in on the wall and was thrown into a den of lions and God saved him no 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 when we're coming back into Jerusalem we will not worship other gods and so the Samaritans in the northern kingdom did not like this one bit of which Sanballat was governor of the Samaritans so here's Sanballat and he don't like that one bit and they had said earlier let us help you rebuild this kingdom let us help you rebuild the temple and let us help you rebuild the wall in Ezra and now in Nehemiah and both of these men were like nope you can't even go no part of this because you have disobeyed you see building for the kingdom brings adversity Anytime you build anything for the kingdom of God, there's going to be an enemy waiting on your doorstep to distract you and discourage you. Now, we in Christ are saved, right? So in death here, life forever doesn't matter. And Paul said that later. like to, If I live, great. If I die, great. Both get Christ. And so in a way like us, like Nehemiah, they're not going to be able to lay the hand on Nehemiah. They can't touch us. The enemy cannot get us because we are saved, redeemed, and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ for eternity. So who cares? Let's build. And even if they cause your death, they're not going to take your life. So let's build. Let's build. Building for the kingdom of God brings adversity. And if you're going to build, man, get ready for a fight. Nehemiah's got one coming. We're going to start reading into that next week. If you're going to build, get ready for a fight. there's nothing the enemy, the enemy likes more than tearing apart our, our families, our homes. Tearing down fathers and mothers. Breaking apart families. The devil likes Jerusalem, our city, the way it was. Broken. Beaten up. And unrecognizable. And confused. No, when we start to build, you think you're ready for a fight. As you build up your families, get ready for a battle. As you change your habits and your disciplines to build in more time for God in the week, get ready for a battle. Building for the kingdom brings adversity. And there is a cost, right? There's a cost to that. Because some of our adversity, to be honest, is going to come here in 2022. Not from the world, but from other Christians. From other churches or denominations for which, like the Samaritans, have made everything permissible. And the worship of other things, okay. And the adoption of different doctrines and alternate theologies, okay. 
and the acceptance and endorsement of different lifestyles contrary to the book of God as sin okay. Some of our adversity will come from people who profess to be Christians but are in fact Samaritans. And as you and I rise and build, we need to stand again on the foundation which Paul read for us or wrote out for us earlier in 1 Corinthians 3. There is only foundation of Christ. And when we build our walls on this foundation, it will last. Because I don't know if you read Revelation, but the church is still there. what you and I build today matters. And it is time for you and I to go back to commandment number one, no other gods, and build upon that foundation. Because what you and I are doing in your homes and in this building and in your relationships matters. matters? Do you believe that your friendships and your relationship matter? Then let's build them. Not for our own sake, just as Nehemiah said, the God of heaven will make us prosper. What is our job? Our job is to rise and build. And I'm ready. I want to build with you. I want to step out of the Jerusalem of the last two years of this church in America. I want to step out of the old Jerusalem of the the broken families and the broken homes and the broken relationships and the broken marriages here in Melbourne and step in and say, let's build. And that starts with you and I saying, I will rise and build. I will go up to the high place on top of the wall and I will bring the rocks up and we will make it higher. And I will stand up there where everyone can see and where the enemy can attack me and where the people who laugh at me and mock me inside the city, well, you look silly up there building a wall. You your overalls. <laughs> you should have worn work boots. Man, I'm building. Don't make fun of me. I'm building. Someone's got to. So why are we listening to the person down there not lifting a stone, making fun of us? Man, get your butt up here and build. Then make fun of me. Build with me. We're going to start turning a blind eye and building up those walls to the naysayers. The people who are going to make fun of us and say, oh, you're living, oh, you're one of those Christians. You bet I am. It's time for you and I to rise and build. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word for us today. Thank you for people like Nehemiah that we can read about thousands of years later who paint a picture of your provision, who show us practical ways to just trust. God, I thank you for this church. And as you've called us to go and be sent and to be builders, that we are ready to rise and build starting today that this moment in time can be a defining moment for us as a, as a church or defining moment for us as a family 
or as a husband or as a father and say, I will rise and build. I will lead my family for Christ. I will speak to the one who is ignored at work. I will reach out to the one who is broken on the side of the road. I will be the one to invite others into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. It is time for us to rise and build. And the God of heaven 